You can be seated this morning. Rapture should take place today. Amen. We've got a full house here. Got to look like we've got a full house in Canada. Let's turn around if you can. Give them away this morning. Welcome them into the sanctuary of God. Amen. They're just as much a part of the assembly as we are here, but they are live streaming, and we hadn't been able to travel quite some time up there to be with them in person. So we thank God for their patience with us here. Well, glory. I want David back there to put up uh, the drawing of the Feast of the Lord. If he can't on the bulletin, I've given these out for years and I even got one of them on the bulletin board. These are the seven feasts of Israel. And what I want you to notice now, the last three feasts, I call it the three feasts of the seventh month. Those three feasts are the last three steps to immortality. We will experience those three feasts in the spiritual realm, which I call a revelation today, which it will be a faith. It will be the bride's revival of which we are in. It will positionally place us and reveal to us our state and standing before God. Now, we understand in every commentary and in most of the churches that we know of actually priests up to the Feast of Pentecost. Almost everyone believes, according to the book of Acts, that God poured out His Spirit upon the church and they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And now for 2,000 years or what the Bible calls seven church ages, seven Sabbaths, this long period of time, there is, has been seven church ages from the Feast of Pentecost and that's the feast that the church world is still under. But we understand that there must be three steps or another threefold revelation to bring us to the rapture or to immortality. We understand by types that the Feast of Tabernacles was the most holy uh, feast of Israel. And we could go on that into symbolism. But remember, all those symbolisms tell us about a reality of what God is doing in us. Which they went out in little booths, they had a celebration, and basically which types the change of our body and the resurrection and basically moving into the millennium under the seventh rest, the thousand years of rest. We understand, according to a prophet, that he placed us in 1964 and 65, he placed us as the Gentile bride under the Feast of Tabernacles. And he told us we would be under that feast now through the millennium for 1,000 years. The question of it is, how did we get to the Feast of Tabernacles when the last three feasts are basically to the Jews under two prophets, the 144,000, according to the book of Revelation? That has been the mystery. That's the reason why we have basically been rejected, because when they preach we must get back to Pentecost, they should know that there is a feast beyond Pentecost. Now, the reason they don't accept the feast beyond Pentecost is because they believe as the church we have accepted the atonement of Jesus 2,000 years ago. So basically, in the Gentile mind, these three feasts has nothing to do with us. So the commentators has agreed that these three feasts will only be fulfilled. And if you notice, this is a drawing right out of a commentary right here. And it tells us that they will be, uh, they are to be fulfilled. 
And if you go to the book of Revelation, it says it takes two prophets, and they will fulfill, preach the atonement of Jesus, and basically they will mourn and whatever more and go into the millennium, which is the time of tabernacle. If we need seven steps and we stop at four, we come up short. So where is these three feasts to us? Since we do not celebrate them in the natural, a lot of churches now are trying to separate, celebrate them in the right time, in basically symbolic form, communion, basically joy and whatever more. Now thousands of Christians go to Jerusalem every year in the seventh month, and upon that particular time, the 15th to the 23rd, and they celebrate by the thousands in the streets of Jerusalem the Feast of Tabernacles because it's a big carnival. It's a big festival of rejoicing. So the church in whole is beginning to recognize that we must have something to do with the tabernacles, but they can't understand what. The message people don't understand it because it's not open to them. The symbolism here, these three feasts, hardly means anything to us. Except we understand that they are a part of God's plan, but basically to Israel. Now, how many remembers that the prophet in Feast of Trumpets, he said, Now the Gentiles are promised a prophet at the end time to fulfill Malachi 4, to turn our hearts back to the original faith of the Pentecostal fathers. And basically, that, uh, that prophet would basically open and be revealed to him the seven seals of Revelation under the seven thunders. Now you're getting into that mystery where everybody wants to argue. I want to declare to us this morning that the seventh seal is to us what these three feasts are to Israel. Under the seventh seal, there's a revelation brought out to the bride to place her into immortality, place her standing as sinless before God, clothe her in a revelation, joining her to the headship of the one in the holiest of all, which is Christ himself, for immortality. That's what we want to point it to, and that's the reason why we're using a picture, because David, if you put the one up there now of the tabernacle, and there's a twofold uh, symbolic picture that the prophet used to teach us this mystery of where we're at in this hour. In the holiest of all is where we're at, spiritually speaking, today, which means that we're under basically the Feast of Tabernacles, having gone through the, the Trump, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. The point being to see where you're at, that the Day of Atonement was the answer for sin. If you have a revelation of the Atonement, you understand that sin question was settled 2,000 years ago at Calvary. The prophet plainly told us that the foolish virgins would go into the tribulation because they would not accept the atonement in its fullness. What does he mean by that? They will not accept the atonement in its fullness as far as salvation and the healing of their body. They will not take the atonement as the answer for sin because it is basically say plus your works or working out so and so rituals and whatever more. I got to do, I got to do, I got to do, I got to do. But the prophet said the blood took away sin and it's not even remembrance of God and he cannot recall it. We are absolutely sinless before Almighty God and now placed us in the holiest of all 
which is not a place here, but dispensationally speaking, it is under an allotment of God's Word, a revelation that's contained under the seventh seal in a threefold manner. Now, I know that's a lot to think about. Brother Bram told us the seventh seal was in a threefold manner. We could go back and read it by hours. We have for 30 or 40 years people have studied it. He said they, we understand the first part. The second part is interpreted, but the third part went by in unknown tongues. He couldn't understand it, but it would be revealed to us as we enter or enter to the later time or near the end. Well, he already put the Gentiles at an end because he said the Pentecostal age was over. If the Pentecostal age is over, which means the feast now, we have to move into another series of events. We have to move from the golden candlesticks. Now, that's your church age. It's right there, seven golden candlesticks. There had to be something spiritually to fulfill these types to come to the altar of incense, which we find in Revelation 5, this one that took the book also come to the altar, pick up the golden censer. He goes into the presence of God, climbs up on the Father's throne and sits down. And the one on the throne now are in the holiest of all in the temple in heaven. That one comes out and comes down here to earth according to Revelation 10, 1 to 7. Ephesians, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. He comes down here to earth in a threefold manner. Shout, voice, and trump. Amen. There is the mystery of our trump, atonement, and tabernacles. So the third pull finishes our seven steps to immortality. And there's what we're looking at this morning in uh, our subject of basically taking this message for your healing. Take the atonement for your healing. If you take the atonement for your healing, he placed it the same as salvation for the soul. Isaiah 53, everything that atonement covered, he said, by faith you can approach to God, and whatever you ask the Father in my name that's in the atonement, he'll give it to you. Amen. And he said, ask for the soul. I put it in your notes. So we are dealing now with healing in the atonement. And you've got to understand where the atonement is to us. It's in the third pull or under the seventh seal. Symbolic speaking, everything's in symbols. And we understand that mystery of atonement was hid to the church for seven church ages. Paul preached the atonement in Hebrews in the book of Romans. He brought them to tabernacles, the mystery of immortality, including Melchizedek, of which he said they couldn't understand. But in this hour, we are to come to our understanding of who Melchizedek was. And that he was in the form of a man. And he was the judge himself. He is almighty God in a form. And he comes down here and does and performs to his Gentile bride exactly the type that he did to Israel. Is Melchizedek still here? You say, well, the prophet's gone, so Melchizedek is not here because we don't have a prophet. What form is God now in His habitation or in His place of worship? We can get to the type when Moses entered. That's another type. We'll get to that. God's chosen place of worship now. Where is His temple now? 
I believe it's in the bride of Jesus Christ. Because the place where he put his name is a place that he said would be his chosen place of worship. He put his name, the Bible said in Deuteronomy 15, 5, I believe, that he put his name where his habitation was. So where is his habitation today? It's in his bride. Because he come down as a word, or as a revelation, and that revelation now spoken, which is the hidden manna that's laying in the holiest of all, which is a revelation given to the seventh angel that we're feeding on. We're feeding on a manna now that will not spoil, that by the feeding of your soul on the body word of the Son of Man, that will heal your soul and bring an immunity to your spirit and your body. I've always said, every disease germ that touches my body will die in the name of Jesus. Brother Branham, in 1959, I'm going to read you a quote. It's in your notes if you'd like to look. Brother Branham started out preaching a dual atonement. You go look it up in the commentaries, websites, or whatever, more internet. They'll say, William Branham preached a double dual atonement. He believed in the salvation of the soul and the healing of our bodies. Most fundamentals, and even in the message, only believes the atonement was beneficial for the salvation of the soul. But if he saved your soul, he also healed your body by the same shedding of his blood. And if you go to the seven sheddings of his blood on Calvary, each one speaks of a different category spiritually of which the blood speaks to us for that we can benefit spiritually in our lives and our body. So we can prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. As your soul prospers. So there has to be something that comes to the threefold. We're outer court. Our spirit inward, and then the soul is the holiest of all. Body, spirit, soul. Each part is typed in our body. Now we are little tabernacles of the living God. The study of when go from tabernacles to the temple is a whole different transition. So tabernacle, moved around, place to place. Then we go to Solomon's temple. It was built in... On Calvary, the veil was rent. AD 70, the temple was torn down. Now they're looking to rebuild the temple of Ezekiel 40 to 44 to set up the sacrificial services they believe is there. And basically Jesus comes and reigns in the temple in Jerusalem. And that temple will be built on the same program or the same plan as your tabernacle in the wilderness. The walls will be one mile square according to Ezekiel. It will be a massive temple. And if you go online, you can see pictures of that temple. But primarily, it's laid out in steps in threefold, just exactly as we have pictured. Brother Brown, in 59, he starts the sermon, What is the Holy Ghost? And he says, We want to start this revival for the healing of the soul. Now he is shifting his ministry, three pulls. He's shifting it now from the body. Now he's going inwardly. For he knows that he must progress from your flesh to your spirit. And finally, under the seventh seal would be a message to your soul to immortalize your complete being or get you through the trumpet, the atonement, and the tabernacles to rest. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is not the final end of it. You can have the baptism of the Holy Ghost and miss this end time message. 
You can have the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the prophet said, every day of your life and go to hell with it. Because he placed that out on the outer flesh or an anointing on your body, which will cause you to talk right, dress right, not quite think right, because you won't accept the revelation of the Word. So it takes that gene of God, that soul that come from God on the inside of the inside, that when this one, this high priest, our Melchizedek, comes down with the open book, he's going to call those names that are alive. He's calling this end time final group to what? To the complete sevenfold feast, the sevenfold revelation of Jesus Christ for the resurrection and the rapture to complete his plan to have a family on earth for him to dwell with and communicate with. You're going to find, if I can shut up here a minute and read this quote to get to our thought, you're going to find from Genesis to Revelation, God had one thing in mind. He wanted to come down and live in the midst of his family. Don't ever forget that. And he's always in the midst of his sons and daughters of God in one form or another. Every step was what? To dwell in the midst of his people. What was the first exodus for? Pillar of fire, set up a tabernacle that he can be in the midst of his people. Second exodus, he come down in flesh, Jesus, to live among his people. The third exodus, what, he come down according to Ephesians, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, to dwell among us. That's the reason he said the message of this hour is he is here. He is here. And he's here in a form. Now, we recognize a prophet. We recognize the pictures on the wall of the pillar of fire. But after that, is he still here? Well, you said the Holy Spirit's here. I'm talking about the literal presence of God, the Word, the Logos, that pillar of fire. Is he still here? According to a vindicated prophet, he will stay here until he gets this little group dressed right. And he will dwell in them until he takes us with him. It is God's plan he's fulfilling. He's doing it on his own word, his own attributes, his own plan. He's only carrying out what he already thought and what he already said that he would do. If he put a group of people in the millennium, worshiping him as kings and priests, and we know that that's coming and we know that he thought it thousands of millions of years ago, we must be in a process to get there. Every one of us this morning is fulfilling a part of the written Word of God, whether you understand it or not. You say, well, I'm just hid in the masses of whosoever will, but you're still in there. Every one of us is a manifestation of a thought and an attribute of God. Amen. That's a mouthful right there. You mean to tell me that you actually believe, Brother Gregory, that there's literally genes, offspring of God, called sons and daughters of God here on earth today? Absolutely. I believe that we come right out of the loins of Almighty God. He is our Heavenly Father. You say, well, if that's the case, then we have eternal life, and we don't have to be afraid of falling. He will not lose one son. He will not lose one daughter. Every predestinated thought, he will not lose one thought. Amen. And he sealed his own word by covenant. All right, Brother Bam said, we want to start this revival for the healing of the soul. All right, now he's shifting us. 
But he said, now he gives you the quote where you can get sick and you get healed. God, we're so happy when he heals the body. But he said, now we know that uh, when a body is healed, that makes us all happy because we know that it definitely shows that our God heals the sick. But that sick person, if they live long enough, will perhaps be sick again. All right, so the outer court here has got problems. All right. Uh, if they live long enough, will perhaps be sick again, maybe with the same disease that they were healed of. And that doesn't take away healing. The doctor would give a medicine for pneumonia, and maybe two or three days they'll die later with pneumonia after he pronounced them well. It reoccurs. But when that soul is healed, there's got to be a healing, and the healing comes in the revelation of the atonement. It will heal the soul. When that soul is healed, oh my, when you got that atomic energy in the soul, do you think it will affect your spirit? Come on now, talk to me this morning. Do you think it will affect your spirit? Do you think when the father of your soul comes around that there's something in your spirit will pick it up and worship the Almighty God? Will you think that it will maybe do something to your body? Have you ever went to a ball game in the natural and got so happy that you even throwed a coke at the ref or screamed and hollered and jumped up down? Something in the spirit affected your body. Well, if God, your Father, the Holy Spirit comes in here this morning, and your soul actually come from Him, won't your spirit detect something here feeding your soul and affect your body and maybe lifting up your hands and giving God the praise? Because no one can lift up their hands unless something motivates them on the inside to take their body under control and force it to do something. That's the reason it's hard to get fundamental Christian to even say amen, raise their hand, clap their hand, or whatever more. They think it's some kind of emotional, they freeze up like a, a popsicle. But why do you come to church to freeze up? There's enough ice cold water outside. There's enough sin out there. When you go out there, it's all happy, blah, 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 blah. But why don't you come into the presence of Almighty God where there's joy unspeakable and full of glory? Amen. So when the soul is here, he said, now that behooves us to do all that we possibly can to bring every soul to the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not preach himself. His gospel was the gospel of his coming kingdom. The millennial reign. Where he will be king in a temple. And he'll have priests and rulers and all the systems. Theocratic government set up. What an earth will it be when everybody is in harmony. We won't have all this demonic chaos that we got going on now. America's in trouble. You know why? They turned down the voice. He said, I'll plead with you. I won't always be with you. And he hadn't been with us. Now then, what is it? About 60 years after, it gets darker and darker and darker. Just like when God left Israel, he let them sit there and simmer and bless and whatever more. They kept right on. They sold the veil back up again. They began to offer their sacrifice. But about 45 or 50 years later, he sent Titus down to destroy the temple, destroyed everything, and scattered them around the world. Now they're back in their homeland now. But he said when the gathering of Israel that time, he would send a messenger at the end of the age to call out a bride for his namesake. Come on now. Have you heard the voice today? That voice was not the voice of a man. It was the voice of the high priest of Almighty God. 
It was the voice of the Holy Ghost speaking to us through a veil called a prophet of this hour. People say, oh, I'm afraid of the prophet. No, you're afraid of the God that's talking to him. Amen. That behooves us to bring every soul to the kingdom. That we might be healed of our spirits. There had to be a healing of our spirits. We've been preaching about reconciliation. Atonement to reconciliation. The atonement was satisfied 2,000 years ago. But he hasn't reconciled his family all the way back until he is ahead or has preeminence in us. We're still warring in our minds. We still won't take his word. We won't take vindication. Amen. What about the breach? Brother Bran- you said, well, Brother Branham, pre- Brother Branham preached everything was a sin except waking up in the morning. If you can find something he missed, will you come tell me? Like that story one time, he said, I went to Brother So-and-So's church. He said, I preached on everything that I can think of. And they had an elderly sister on the front. And every time I'd say something about all oh, smoking, drinking, she'd say, amen, Brother Brown, preacher, Brother. And boy, she was amen and preacher, Brother Brown. Everything he said, he said, I went down my whole list. Afterward, he told up there, he said, man, that woman must be a saint. Why is that, Brother Brown? He said, I went down my whole list. And she said, amen, preach it, brother, to everything I said. He said, Brother Branham, you didn't get on gossip. (laughs) And she's a big gossip in the church. So I guess he went down to ABC and missed the G, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But when he come to the breach, I feel good this morning. But when he come to the breach and see where the blood annihilated sin... He said, drop a drop of ink in that blood or that Clorox and it'll evaporate and you can't find it no more. He said, how much more when our sin is dropped in the blood or the bleach of the blood of Jesus Christ? It's gone. It's not even in the God's sea of forgiveness. He can't even bring it up in his memory anymore. But oh, that's not in the church yet. Because we can remember what you done 35 years ago. Come on now. Oh, so-and-so done so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. And we, my church, your church, this, that. We're not in the holiest of all yet. In the holiest of all, there's only one thing that gains your attention. That's the revealed Word of Almighty God. All you can see is Christ and His glory. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. Entering into His glory. And I believe we're already entered into it. And no one in that, it's not in that glory or that realm or that dispensation of the word of God is in trouble you say well how do we know that this prophet was the truth well most of you have read the quotes but I like this one 1954 brother Brown preached the message God's provided a way of healing and he said did you know the Bible predicts that in the last days that there'll be a germ warfare that's exactly what we're going on, going on right today. That diseases will break out upon the people and will fall on everyone without the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now you could go wild with that teaching right there. Because I know preachers in this message and churches in this message, the whole church was sick. And they had to shut down with this virus. You said, what are you saying about it? I'm not saying nothing about them. I'm just saying the prophet said, 
It will fall on everyone except those that does not have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Or has the Holy Ghost. He said, but with the angel who had charge of those plagues, you go to Revelation and you can read it, was given orders to touch no one on whom the mark or the seal of God was. He said, then what kind of teachers have we got to be, brethren, to get the church in order to be in that condition immune? How many is immune? I know I'm taking up a lot of time, but I like his story. He always tells a story, you know. He said, Brother, he said, I've been stuck with all these things going overseas, inoculation, inoculation. He said, Oh, brother, have you been inoculated? He said, Yep, I've been inoculated. He said, I've got my shot. He said, Boy, how many times? Oh, I got one shot. That shot will do me forever. He said, See, I got a shot of the Holy Ghost. He said, Oh, you got to be re inoculated. He said, I get it every week. He said, I get a new fresh shot of the Holy Ghost every week. Praise God. And I believe every disease germ that's in this land, we are immune to it. We have a shelter of the Holy Ghost. In the holiest of all, there's no sin can get in there. Come on now. There will be no sin entered to the holiest of all. You said, well, then we can't be there. Oh, yes, we have a boldness to enter into the holiest. How? By the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, people don't believe in the atonement. I believe in the atonement. All right, watch, watch when the, uh, God's accepted wave at the end time. Watch. If the plague falls, he said, well, we'll just go down beneath in the ground in the cave and shut the door. He said, that won't do you one bit of good. Well, we'll just stay in the house and put a mask over our face and put some disinfectant on it. He said, and that won't do one bit of good either. Oh, just stay in your house, put a mask on, make sure you spray your hands every time you go to Walmart, out of Walmart, back to the home, in your bathroom, whatever more. Wash your hand, wash your hand, wash your No, you need to wash your mind. You need to be washed by the waters of the Word. We need to get our hearts washed or washed, whatever you want to do. I always say washed because it's a warfare to take all those devils out of there. We got a stain that's hard to get out. We got a stain that we want to do our own thing. We want to do our own thinking. But in this hour, to begin the millennium, we're going to be under a king. We're going to be under a theocratic government. We're going to be under a headship, a government that we have no qualms, no mental battles. Something in us will be in harmony with the Word of God. Now, he's here to take that little element out. All right, so let's get to our text this morning. Everybody happy? Let's look at this entering into His holy glory. We can enter into the three feasts. We can enter into the holiest of all. All types, the same outcome. Watch. Hebrews 6, 13. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Saying, surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Now that's Abraham. Watch. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. Not to be long-winded this morning, because I don't have that much wind. We see that oath being performed in Revelation 10, 1-4. 
We see a mighty angel that was sitting on a throne in heaven. We see the high priest coming out behind the mercy seat. Coming around, read the book of Revelation. He comes around in the front of the throne. There was a book laying there, which is the book of redemption. That book had your name in it. Come on now. And there's no redemption, no atonement, no reconciliation to God until that book is open and the Word of God or the Spirit calls your name, which is your soul, and you recognize your day and its message. That high priest come about, took the book, he opened the seals. He's got to come down here and open your book. He's got to open your mind. He's got to open your spirit. He's got to open your heart to the Word of God. Our seals against God has got to be broken loose from us. So he can come into our holy place, take his abode right here in our hearts. The Bible says that the one on the throne, which was a pillar of fire, takes the book, comes down here to earth, and declares in the days of the voice of the seventh angel. Now that is an earthly angel, a man. He would begin to expound the gospel of the kingdom. He would preach the same gospel that Paul preached. And he would call us by a trump. And that trump would be calling us out, if you had that, out of the holy place or out of the seven church ages, out of the systems. We could go through it step by step. Every step was a light. When the light moved, judgment come in and formed a blasphemous name. Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, on and on and on and on. At the end, the Holy Spirit comes out and calls us out of blasphemous names according to the book of Revelation. And puts us into an exodus, moving us from the holy place into the holiest of all, or actually coming into the presence of God's glory that we call the third exodus or the presence. I won't say that word perusia because that word perusia is kind of like uh, diffusing the mind. It must be hard to understand. We don't believe it, whatever it is. It simply means the literal presence of God. Well, Brother Gregory preaches that old Perusia doctrine. I sure do. According to Jesus himself, according to the prophet himself, the literal presence of God, my ministry declared that he is here and he could not be here without being present. And those same people will have a picture on their wall of the pillar of fire over the prophet's head and deny that the presence is here. So there's something missing somewhere. Watch. By two immutable things. All right. In the book of Revelation, he lifts up each hand, puts one foot on land, one foot on sea. That's Protestantism, Catholicism. Revelation 13, Revelation 17. Lifts up his hand and swears that time shall be no longer delayed. In other words, as we said last week, we're now going to move from the Feast of Pentecost, where the church stopped and was for 2,000 years. They're going to start moving again. But what will it take to get them to move? It will take a vindicated prophet like unto Moses to come and call a group of people out of the system are out of the prison that they're locked up in. 
What do you mean prison? You can sit here in your body this morning and be locked up in a prison. Let's say you're a Methodist. You're locked up in 1500s. Catholics, 325 A.D. They're locked up in that teaching, that era, that day. So their soul is in prison. Their minds cannot be open because they are convinced that what they believe is true. Luther, locked up. Wesley, locked up. Salvation Army, locked up. Oneness Pentecost, locked up. Assemblies of God, locked up. Then God stands at the end and calls us out of all those blasphemous names into His presence or into His glory. Hallelujah. All right, we can't see it because we're not supposed to see it. But uh, Moses could see the light. We can't see the light, but I can look at the man that can see the light. I'll follow the one that sees the light as long as he's vindicated that he's following a light. Are you following me now? So what I'm taking is vindication that what's leading him and teaching and speaking through him is Almighty God. You say, well, that don't put too much on the man except a channel. You got it. You got it. You say, well, then where's God's channels today? Well, I pray that you're listening to one of them this morning. Because God's dress wear today, if you can find them, is in the form of a fivefold ministry. Now, how can you tell if they're a true fivefold minister or not? By the voice that's speaking through the veil. We'll get it. So that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, that we may have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. And according to 1 Timothy 1, the Lord Jesus Christ is that hope. Can you say amen to that? Therefore, our hope, and He is, Jesus is our hope, and He was the one that was set before us. He was the one that forerun us. He took every step. He went to the cross. His soul went to hell. He becomes sin. You can't get no worse than this now. He becomes sin. He went through the three layers all the way down to the lowest realm of hell. He went down to where Satan and his worst demons was. And he walked up and he took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Three steps now. Justification, everything is in threes. He took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Brought up, stopped by that other dimension. Picked up Abraham and all the Old Testament saints. What the greatest mystery is, he picked up the one on the cross. Oh, will you receive me when you come into your kingdom? He said, this day you shall be with me in paradise. Whew. Man, he didn't have to stay long, did he? Zip here, zip, there he is. I think he's the shortest one in hell. So he holds a record. I'm the shortest man that stayed in there. I wasn't in there left about 24 hours. I didn't even get to introduce to Abraham and all the rest of them around. I didn't even get to shake all their hands and somebody knocked on the door. And what does it come out of her? The door swung open. We marched out of there following that pillar of fire right out of every system. 
ever unbelief, ever doctrine of hell. And we were set free. Yes, sir. Which we have as an anchor of the soul. The only time that your soul can be anchored is somewhere not holiest of all. Until you come to that atonement feast where your soul is at peace with God and you know that your sin has been remitted. You would have been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And God places you under the blood as absolute sinless before Almighty God. I know this is heresy for a Pentecostal preacher preaching that a group of people under the blood is sinless. I know it's good for a Catholic or a Baptist to preach eternal salvation, but they got part of it right. If your name was on that Lamb's book of life and the revelation of the atonement is revealed to you that your sin was remitted 2,000 years ago and your name is on the book and you're a part of that one that brought you here, then you are free from the guilt and condemnation of sin. You have now been reconciled to God and makes you one with the Word or under the headship of Jesus Christ. We are married to Him. That's the reason we're called Mrs. Jesus Christ. See, where did He put His name? In her. That's absolutely the truth. Our name is Mrs. Jesus Christ. We are the body and the temple and the tabernacle of the Holy Ghost. How many knows that Paul said that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? If my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, I should have something in me then that gives me a little bit of ump somewhere to make the body, the spirit, and everything blessed in some realm in this walk right here now. But how are you going to get it? You say, well, that's Bible. But how are you going to get it in your life? You've got to understand it and put it in your mouth and confess this part is you. How can I appropriate the things of God in the Bible to my life? First, you have to believe it. Second, you have to confess that it's true and act accordingly. You say, well, that's just basically a law of faith. Well, that's all there is to it. But try to do it. Try to do it. You'll lose your confession nine times out of ten. All right. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. And, all right, and which, here's our talk. And which entereth into that within the veil. Enter into that out of the holy place. Enter into the holiest of all, that beyond the veil. Put the drawing back up there. Put the, uh, put the drawing back up. All right. So what we're looking at in type, you're leaving the golden candlesticks. You've got to go past that veil into the holiest of all where the Ark of the Covenant is. That's called the holiest of all, or entering into that within the veil, where the forerunner is for us entered in heaven now. Remember, there's a temple in heaven. Our to priest aliens come in the form of angels. Boy, that got awful quiet. Do you think we're the only things around in this whole cosmos of God? <laughs> Science fiction. Do you understand now that they're even finding that flying saucers, our government has even got some of them. Parts of them. Pictures of them. 
They're afraid to let us know because the Catholic Church is afraid that we'll drop the faith in Jesus. And find out that Jesus was only an alien. Angels was only alien from another system. And they've been governing what we do here on earth for years and years and years. Millions of years. At least 6,000 years. What do you think come down to Adam and Eve? Oh, you said a light. Where did the light come from? What is the light? Where did the light go? Let's just take the angel that come and visit Brother Branham. Billy Paul said, I wanted to see that angel. I think Brother Branham asked. He said, yeah. He, he go over. He said, he's standing in the room. He said, you're forbidden to see him. He explains what he looked like. A man so tall, so warm. And when he left, he just breaks up the light and goes right up. Now, he sees a man standing there. And all of a sudden, like Star Trek, he's transported somewhere. He didn't cease to exist because the next week he turned around and come back again. Where did he go? And what was he doing over there beyond the veil? How <laughs> many would like to know? Would you like to look across the curtain of time? Would you like to just step over and look and see what's going on? And what Brother Brother said, well, I think, and I was there. What do you think the rapture is going to be like? You think we're going to work our way in? We're going to run away? No, we're, just, we're there. In a moment, twinkling out, that's faster than you can even think. That presence will be here. That great, sweet spirit will be among us. Church will be a pleasure to go to. Come on. There won't be no us. There won't be no schism. There won't be none of that. It'll be love flowing around. That sweet spirit will come in, and we'll be worshiping God, and all of a sudden we'll wake up, and they're all there. We're there. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And Brother Bram said, now when these diseases, look up because your redemption draws nigh. When I first started out and didn't know nothing, when he said that, I, I was looking up. I was looking up. I wasn't seeing nothing but clouds. So I thought, well, look up. Maybe he meant look up in the Bible to see where you're at. <laughs> Come on, work with me this morning. <laughs> Looking up don't mean you're going like this. Look up means look up the Scripture see where you're at today. Look up the Word of God. Study the Word. Show yourself approved. Look it up. Look it up. Look it up. And the more you look up, the more your redemption draws nigh, and pretty soon you'll look in this Word and say, Mommy, that's me. That's me. Because we're a part of the Word. Watch now. Entering into that within the veil. What is that? What is that behind the veil that we enter into? He said, whether the forerunner, even for us, entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, let's look in Hebrews 9. Let's see what Paul says is in this holiest of all here. In Hebrews 9, he said, Verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick, and the table, and the showbread, which was basically the manna that they had taken, ground up, and made a bread out of, which we know was type of Christ. 
So they took the manna, which was the type of Christ, the bread that come down from heaven. They didn't know what it was. They didn't know that it was a revealed word of God. They didn't have a clue. But they took and made bread out of it and put a pot of it or one day's serving of it into a little bowl of some type and placed it in the holiest of all where it never spoiled. And the high priest every year when he went in, he'd take a dip it and eat a little of that manna, which is hidden manna. The hidden manna, in, <laughs> we can't keep up with the pictures, the hidden manna within the holiest of all. When you get to that hidden manna, then your shoes should start dancing because only the high priest can go in there and taste of the hidden manna and bring it back out to us. Which that hidden manna will find is a revelation of the Word of God that reveals to us our tabernacles, our day of atonement, and our position in the kingdom. Watch now. Which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. Watch, watch. Which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. And over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. In other words, it was a mystery under the seventh seal that was re to be revealed in this hour. John was forbidden to write and tell us what the seven thunders was, but we know that the prophet was allowed to speak them. Symbolic form and speak them. Watch. So this symbolism, the golden censer, the Ark of the Covenant, pot of manna, Aaron's rod that budded, tables of the covenant, are now in the holiest of all and is the missing elements to our immortality. Each one of them represents an element to the revelation to us under the seventh seal. It contains the complete elements of the message of the hour, it brings the full revelation of Jesus Christ personally to you. These instruments, we can take each one of them in a study if we want to or have time. Aaron's rod speaks to the fivefold ministry, a ministry. The pot of manna speaks to the revelation of the seventh seal, especially the seventh seal, the mysteries of God. Serpent seed, marriage and divorce. God's provided place of worship. All those mark of the beast, all those things under the seventh seal or in the book of Revelation is now made clear to the bride. She understands. We've heard it so much that it's almost like common manna to us. But we understand now, particularly what we want to watch in symbol form. Brother Branham said in Jehovah Jireh, and I've got just a few minutes, but I want you to understand this. We believe in a vindicated prophet. We understand that the pillar of fire hovered over the mercy seat in the holiest of all. Therefore, the mercy seat also speaks of the Shekinah glory, which is the pillar of fire, which speaks of the presence of Almighty God. The presence of Almighty God. When we see a picture of the pillar of fire, when the brother Branham was standing there, a man filled with the Holy Ghost, I've asked this for 35 or 40 years. Why would he say, we're waiting on him to come to see what he would tell us? 
And if you've ever been in the meetings, he'd, all of a sudden he'd play music, the great physician, whatever more, and he would wait there real calm and said, he's, he's here. My question was, who is the he that come in that building that was different than the Holy Spirit that was in his heart and in the hearts of the people sitting in there? He said it was God himself in the form of the Logos, a light. God's always veiled in some form. How many knows that Melchizedek in the Old Testament? I'm running out of time. So I'll, the Old Testament, Melchizedek in the Old Testament was not just a mere man. But the Bible teaches that the prophet taught he was God in the form of a man. He had no beginning of days, no ending of life. And just think now. He was king of Salem. He had bodyguards. He had servants. He dealt with the people. They come into him. He dealt with them as a king. He had communication with them. For how long? We do not know. Those people there that saw him. Some could probably even handle him, talk to him, whatever more he done. Did not know that he was God in the form of a human being. They didn't know. But something happened to Abraham after meeting God. He went out and fought the battle for his brother. He brought in tithes to Melchizedek. And it says that he brought in tithes to the priest of the Most High God. Who is this same Melchizedek that showed up on the Jordan River at the baptism of Jesus? That same light. Come in the form of a light. Come in the form of a dove. Come in the form of a cloud. Come in the form of a man. Come in the form of one man out of three angels or two other angels. Sit down and eat calf and drink buttermilk. God did then how do we know or who do we know that could be an angel or God dressed up in human flesh today? Then the Bible said you'll entertain angels unaware. You may even criticize them a little bit. They may be a little costly. They may be a little rude. They may even think that they're the only bull in the pasture. Like I've always said, how many bulls you need in one pasture? We don't need 15 preachers in here. You only need one man led of the Holy Spirit teaching you the Word of God. And if that's not the man, then you need to run from him with all your life. Come on. But you need to find one. There's not very many. But God is here, still here. He's not hiding up in the mountain somewhere. That same God that come in the service of William Branham. That same God, that same pillar of fire, no one can see him but him. That same pillar of fire is here in a form. What form he's in? He's here in the form of a message, a revealed word, an understood doctrine, a revelation of the word of God, making himself real to your mind, your spirit, and your soul. He's here feeding your soul the revealed word of God. That's what he was here for. Brother Bram said, now watch. Give me five more minutes. The Bible is like a jigsaw puzzle. He said, if you'll excuse the expression. He said, if you try to put it together just the way you look at it, 
Everybody reads it in line. If I read the Bible, I started out, I got 64 Bibles, and I read them all through. And I read it from Genesis to Revelation. When I got done, I didn't, I had to start, I didn't understand the whole thing I read. So people go to their school, they learn doctor's divinity and whatever book and whatever book, and they still don't understand it. You'll never understand this Bible by intellect, by studying. If you don't, you'll ruin the scene. You'll have the cow picking grass on top of the tree, so it won't be right. So when you try to put the Bible together with the intellectual understanding, you can't do it. It's a spirit-written word, and it takes the Holy Spirit to place it together. Then you get the whole picture from Eden out into chaos and the way of the cross back home. That's the entire picture, God's redemption story of sending His own Son to redeem a lost and polluted people. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Karen, you want to come this morning, or musicians, watch. So the Bible is a jigsaw puzzle, and we understand that every piece must be properly placed in one place, because it's cut in such a way that it will not fit any other place except in the right time, the location of that puzzle. The hardest puzzle to get together is one that's got a lot of blue skies and clouds. Because every piece looks like it should go here, and every piece looks like it should go there. You've got nothing but sky and clouds to go by, so you've got a thousand pieces that's blue and got a little white in it. I always just take all of those out and lay it aside. I don't like jigsaw puzzles. Put all the straight pieces on and build the outside line. Build the wall. Then when you do that, you take what you do know, like John 3.16 and Acts 2.38 and whatever more, and you put them in the place where they go. Now then, when I see a cow, I've got to have grass. So this green must be a grass. So you begin to put that picture together. And the more pieces that you put together, the clearer the picture gets. Amen? So what we're trying to say is the jigsaw puzzle has been solved. Every doctrine has been put in its proper place. And every mystery has the veil taken off of it. In other words, he took the symbolism off of it and told you what it meant in everyday language. Because you can't read the book of Ezekiel, Revelation, Daniel, all that symbolism, and come out with a true picture. If you go to the book of Ezekiel, he takes the Ezekiel 40 to 44, building the tabernacle in the millennium. He brings you right back to animal sacrifices. The ritual of the priests. It sounds like in the millennium will be just like the Old Testament under Moses. Then you go to Paul in Hebrews. You can't find sacrifices in the millennium. You can't find this and you can't find that. So we just lay that aside, and that's what I'm looking at now, the temple. In Ezekiel, will there be animal sacrifices in the millennium? If I had to say this morning, I'd say no. Well, you said, I can show you a lot of Scripture where it says yes. I know you can. Will there be any children born in the millennium? I can show you two chapters where it says yes. I can show you places where it says no. Brother Brandon was asked that question one time. He said, if God ever tells me, I'll let you know. And he never did tell us. 
Brother Lee asked him in writing the church age book. It's on tape. You can go listen to it. Brother Branham, you never answered the question, will their children be born in the millennium? And he said, no. He said, what am I going to use as a text? He said, the scripture says they'll build houses and not another one will inhabit. And if they had children, there'd be others inhabited except the ones that built it. He said, that's not enough proof. That's enough for me. Now, I know that's against what's going on now. The children will be born in the millennium. They'll have this one where they got to where they go. It looks like it. Just looks like it. But, you know, I'm going to be there, and I'll be in my part, and you will be too, and I'll rejoice in it. But I don't look forward to being like there was in the Old Testament. What's the blood done for us? What's it doing for you? Where are you at today? We have entered into the holiest of all. We have entered into the third pool. We have lay all resting in the Feast of Tabernacles. And we're fulfilling every type and symbol in this hour through the message of the hour. Now, if God will help us, we'll pick out those symbols and break it down for us simply. Aaron's rod, what is today? Manna, what is it today? What does the golden censer have to do with us? Well, the golden censer had to deal with us for the one angel come around and took the book. He went around and took the golden censer, went before the, old, the incense, went up before God. All of it is speaking about this end time ministry of Melchizedek here on earth to the bride. Do I understand it all? No, I do not. Is a lot of the symbolism of mystery? Absolutely. Am I supposed to understand it all? Nope. I understand what part I am to understand. And I preach that part that he gives us to understand, and that's for us. You are resting this morning. If you're feeding on the revealed Word of God, you're resting under the Feast of Tabernacles, potentially you are already moving out of time into eternity. At least you're moving into the seventh day. We're in that cross of time right now. America is going down faster than you can blink an eye. The change of our bodies and the resurrection, that shout is going on to the other side. I believe they're rejoicing. And they will soon appear to us, and we'll have a change of our body, and we will meet our Lord Jesus Christ at the marriage supper in the Lamb, and then we'll come back and walk out on the ashes of the wicked and set up the temple. Amen? Let's stand this morning. Thank you, the visitors, for coming. Thank each one of you for being here this morning. What are we going to sing? Now, we've got a water baptismal service. I think uh, Morgan want to be baptized this morning. Pat, they already gone back. Okay, so they're getting ready, and we'll just sing a course here in a few minutes, and we'll go back for a water baptismal service. Amen.